You are listening to the Family Business Podcast, the podcast aimed at delivering insights to help your family business thrive. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and each week I'll be bringing you interviews from family businesses and their advisors from all over the world. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Well, hello and welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and I'm delighted today to be joined in person uh, by a good friend of mine, um, Chris Budd. Um, Chris has recently gone through the process of selling his business to an employee ownership trust, and so I thought it'd be a good idea to get Chris on to have a chat about what that means for him, what it means for the business, and how it might be applied in a family business environment. So firstly, Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you, Russ. Welcome to my cabin. Yes, um, we are recording uh, live in a, a cabin in Chris's garden. Um, it is uh, very nicely set up, um, nice little man cave. So um, I, we it's are. not a man cave. <laughs> it's not a man shed. <laughs> we all just called it a cabin, so I call it a cabin. <laughs> <laughs> We're in Chris's cabin. Um, so, Chris, as I mentioned, we, you've recently sold your business into an employee ownership trust. Um, but before we get into the details around that, perhaps you could give our audience a little bit of an introduction to you, uh, an overview of uh, how you got to where you are today. Of course, yeah. So I set up in business in 1998, um, incorporated in 2000. So this is 20 years of running a financial planning business called Ovation Finance, um, which three weeks ago we completed the move into the Employee Ownership Trust. Um, so I've now set up uh, a new business as a consultant helping other people to learn about Employee Ownership Trusts. Uh-huh. So that's what I'm currently doing. I also play guitar, married with two kids um, and uh, coach cricket. Lost the first under 15 match by one run last night oh, Russ. No. what a start to the season <laughs> no, I don't know whether it's good that it's such a close loss or a well I think you learn a lot from a close loss you, yeah. because you wonder well, what could we have done to save that one run somewhere yeah, in the game absolutely. so it's a good, good learning point point. <laughs> um, and so you've just gone through the process of selling your business to an employee ownership trust for members of our audience who might not have heard of those could you give them a overview, uh, a whistle-stop tour of an employee ownership trust. First of all, I think let's agree to call it an EOT, if yeah. that's all right. <laughs> save about 19 minutes on yeah. the podcast. <laughs> um, I remember in uh, in training courses when I was younger, they used to try and get you to describe how to tie a tie without using your hands. And mm-hmm. I feel a bit like this here. I need a whiteboard <laughs> and a flip chart and all sorts. But basically, the, the easiest starting point, I think, if anybody knows the ownership model of John Lewis, that's a pretty good starting point. They're the most well-known employee-owned business. And uh, the principle is that um, I sold my shares to an employee ownership trust which I set up. I sold my shares into that company and um, sorry that's terribly described in the first place so can I just do an edit point there? Um, I sold my shares to the employee ownership trust which I'd previously established and then that owns the business so uh, for the benefit of the employees. Right. So it should really be called an indirectly owned and employee controlled trust but that's not very catchy so <laughs> we go for more time to the podcast <laughs> <to call it> that. <laughs> so we go for eot to keep it simple excellent okay and the 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 process is not something that you can, can just decide right i'm going to go into an eot go and buy one from wh smith and th- there it is it it exists it, it was 
I'm imagining quite a um, well thought out decision from your perspective in that you... It's very flattering, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you. You didn't take the traditional route of looking at a management buyout or a um, trade sale. Well, I did um, because that's just what you do, isn't it? When you own a business, you're one day going to sell it. Um, my wife always used to say to me, in the early days of the business, you know, what's the point of this? What's the end goal? And I said, well, to sell the business. And she'd say, but why? Why would you sell it? You love what you do so much. Why would you sell it? And she, she was right, of oh. course, as she so often is. Um, she won't be listening to this, will she? <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, the traditional routes of sale had problems for me. Um, the trade sale uh, meant probably losing all the wonderfulness of my business that I'd built up. Um, what we do with financial planning and financial well-being and money and happiness would probably all disappear. Okay. And management buyout had problems because not all employees had any money and those that did may or may not have been the ones I wanted to take over uh -huh. the business. You know, yeah. um, So they just didn't work for me. But I think there's a really important point to get across at the very start of all of this. And I, I'm assuming that this counts as much for family businesses as it does for employee-owned businesses, which is the ownership is just one part of the issue. Uh -huh. What we're really talking about here is building sustainable businesses, uh -huh. not businesses that one day will be sold, yeah. to take the value completely out of the discussion. And that is absolutely key because once you have a business that isn't focused on a future sale, isn't doesn't care about its value, you approach that business in a very different way. Yeah. And the employee ownership is one part of it. The family business ownership is one part of it. Um, but collaborative decision making and having a clear flag in the ground, these sorts of things are really, really important to sustainable businesses. Uh -huh. Maybe we could call that you know a, a catch-all phrase. Completely. And I think one of the... Um, great synergies in, in what I've um, seen so far on the EOT side and, and where there's crossover on the family business side is the need for clearly articulated values and vision. Uh, and perhaps you can kind of um, provide a, a bit more info on, on how you would go about that because, again, raising the issue of to your employees, I want to sell this into an employee ownership trust. If they haven't heard of it, it's a difficult kind of thing yeah, to get there. Yeah, okay. So um, I've written a book about the process of becoming employee-owned, which is called the eternal business. Uh -huh. And that's kind of, the word eternal is a word that we came up with innovation as we were going through this process. What is it we're actually trying to achieve? And um, there's actually Adrian, our, who is now a managing director, uh, who came up with, well, we're trying to make this business last forever, aren't we? We're trying to make it eternal. That's a great expression. So... What I did with my business and what I've researched and written about is, is the four parts that you need to make a business that will last, in theory, forever. Uh -huh. And one of them is what I refer to as the flag in the ground. So it's a flag in the ground around which we all gather, the flag at the front of the marching band that everyone follows. But it's not just about having a mission statement or a vision it is about that, but it's then about how that works throughout the business. That needs to permeate through everything that the business does. And every decision that is made needs to be mapped back against that and said, is this in line with mm -hmm. our, what we are trying to achieve? Um, one of the employee-owned businesses um, from long-standing is a company called Arup. It used to be Ove Arup, set up by a guy called Ove Arup. Um, and they're a wonderful example. In fact, uh, there was a talk from them that I heard that inspired me to go and research more. Okay. And Ove Arup himself, back in the early 70s, gave what is referred to in their company as the key speech. 
And it was a speech to all of the employees. Um, sorry, I think it was all the partners of the different divisions, but it was permeated down to the employees. And it set out what he believed Arup was about as it went into employee ownership. Mm-hmm. And you can still look this up. You just type in Arup, key, the key speech, and you can get a PDF of the whole thing. And it's brilliant. It's so interesting. Um and they still refer to it today, I understand. New employees still read it and they still discuss it. And is it still relevant and uh-huh. so forth? So I think that's a really good example of the flag. Um, how does it permeate throughout the business? Are, is everything that we do in line with that flag? Uh-huh. And that, again, is where the synergy on family values come in. Because within a family business, if, you, if there's an assumption within the family that we live to the same set of values often we see that's not necessarily communicated particularly well down to the the non-family employees within the business. There's great examples of it happening, but there's also examples where it's not happening because there's a lot of assumption that, that it is understood. And so going through that process of understanding your, your values and vision is, it would be a good thing anyway, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's it. going to be good for any business, yeah. isn't it? You know, um, Simon Sinek's Why is another good example. <laughs> yes. um, and that's become hugely popular and, and, and for good reason, because oh, yeah. it's important, you know. Yeah. Um, for me, it's a bit deeper than that um, because it's about, for example, are you treating your employees the same way that you treat your customers? Uh-huh. Yeah, just one example. Um so there's an, an awful lot in that section um, of, of getting your visions and values, but then applying it throughout your business and everything that you do and testing it back constantly. And that will be good for any business. Mm. And looking a little bit more at the mechanics of the EOT, the, 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 one of the um, features and I believe benefits of it is that the employees are in charge of making decisions. That's so scary, isn't it? It is. And it can be to some, but actually... When you when it comes full circle and and they are the direct um, or the the implications of their decisions affect them directly, it can help to to bring the business together and oh, motivate and, and inspiring absolutely. Um, engaged employees is the number one topic of conversation mm-hmm. when a load of employee owned businesses get together. Um, the owner that um, tries to create a legacy business, an eternal business, but doesn't really let go, you know, that sort of stuff. I love the podcast that you had. Forgive me, I've forgotten the guest name, but the lady from America, Orange Kiwi, Ali wasn't Taylor. it? She was fantastic. Mm. And so interesting about the psychology of letting go. Yes. Um, and that applies so much to employee-owned businesses as mm. well. So um, the way it actually works is that, um, and this is the transition bit, okay? Um, the owner sells their shares to the Employee Ownership Trust. Now, that sounds so easy, but actually that process could take years. Because um, one of the expressions I use in the book is you decide first, but action last. Uh So you decide, yes, this is the way I want to go, but I now need to get the business to be employee-owned and already acting as if it's employee-owned before I push the button. So I said to my employees, um, or the Ovation employees, I said, I'm not actually going to sign that piece of paper until I'm convinced you're already working uh-huh. in that way. You know, you don't buy, um, Man United won't buy a striker and then put him up front against Liverpool and see if he's any good. Yeah. You'll only do it when it's tried and tested. Same principle. So you decide first, you then go through all the things that make a business sustainable, and then you actually push the button. Uh-huh. And in terms of, we mentioned the psychology of 
letting go and, and succession. And there's a paper by a chap called Manfred Ketz de Vries, which I Cracky probably name. haven't pronounced his name right. <laughs> um, but he, he's written a paper on the psychology of letting go. And he's looked at um, heads of state, so for, former US presidents, for example. Uh, and one of the quotes um, that he cites in his paper was, three days ago, I, it was an American president, I can't remember which one. Three days ago, I could have said anything and it'd be on the front page of every newspaper in the world. Um, and now nobody gives a damn. Yeah. And I guess there's synergies there in terms of your ambition to make yourself the least important person in the business tends to go against that need for a sense of purpose. So in your own journey, have you had to find that elsewhere in order for it to be easier to yeah the expression i use for that is um you need to be pulled not pushed mm -hmm. so um there was a story that uh was i put in the book um and i must remember to change the name and not slip in to give the real name <laughs> but i used to um there was a company who where, where the chairman was in his late 60s and to be honest probably should have retired but he hadn't and i said to one of the directors why why hasn't he gone yet you know um let's say it was called jones taylor okay uh -huh. mr jones was still hanging on and uh and she said something absolutely brilliant that i've never forgotten she said because at the moment he's mr jones chairman of jones taylor yes tomorrow he's just mr jones yeah completely and there's so much in that mm. so i think it's really important to be pulled not pushed okay. um in my own journey what am i what did i have to pull me well i write novels so that was a big thing but also i'm now helping to spread the word about employee ownership and i'm building another business as mm -hmm. consultant yeah. so that's given me something to be pulled towards and mm -hmm. it's exciting and i'm loving it you know yeah. um and a few non-execs charity work and all this kind of stuff so um i created the life that i wanted to live uh -huh. and i think that's really really important is to work out what you want from life you know yeah. um i took some business coaching i'm also a business coach myself but i took some business coaching uh, and it was it made such a difference uh -huh. because it helped me work out what do i want to do and i spent seven years then getting to that point right. it also incidentally meant that i worked out what i wanted to do within the business during that period uh -huh. so i got rid of some of the stuff that i didn't actually enjoy which of course meant i empowered other people yes genuinely empowered not empowered uh for many years i used to say i like to empower people but really it was just bad management <laughs> <laughs> um then i started to properly empower people yeah. and really give them clarity over roles and let them start to take over mm. um they would probably say something different <laughs> <laughs> and there certainly were moments where i should have let go where i found it very difficult okay. for example and this is a cracking topic um watching people make bad decisions that's mm. uh, so hard to do yeah um and I don't mean just decisions I wouldn't make that's easier but decisions that you've done before you just know that's not going to work yeah. out you know but you have to let them go through the process uh, that's not easy that's mm. not easy to do but uh, there's a lot of comparisons with uh, parents and children I think in this yes you know you've got to let your kids burn themselves every once in a while otherwise they'll never learn the fire's hot completely yeah and again I think that's um, uh, an interesting take on the 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 requirement for you to appreciate that those mistakes need to be made is again within the family business environment you don't want necessarily to see your kids fail uh, but but also some of the um, psychology we come across is that actually we don't want don't necessarily want them to do as well or better than okay. us that's interesting and i wonder whether there's any of that 
in terms of the EOT side is it, by making yourself the least imper important person, if you had a big ego and you wanted to be that most important person and your decisions were always right and now you're passing that delegation over to, to other people and you think, well, their decisions are wrong, but actually it might make the business better. How much of a challenge it would be to, to move into an EOT type environment if you have a big ego. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's who, who with a big ego would recognize that they've got a big ego? You know, almost having a big ego means you don't think you have. You know? Indeed, yeah. I'm the most modest person you've ever met, as Donald <laughs> Trump so famously said. Yeah. Um, firstly, one of the rules of the Employee Ownership Trust, so, so the Employee Ownership Trust is a thing, okay? It's a government HMRC approved scheme. Uh -huh. It's got certain tax advantages. So for the owner, the payment is free of capital gains tax. Uh -huh. And for uh, the employees, they can receive a certain amount, 3,600 a year free of income tax. Uh -huh. So there are some tax advantages. And because of that, there are some rules. Uh -huh. And included in these rules is the fact that the Employee Ownership Trust must have control. So you must sell at least 51%. Uh -huh. So you don't have any choice but to let go. If you're going to make that decision, you have to accept that you are giving up control. And in a way, the whole process is about transference mm. of control. That, you, know, you could almost say that that is the subject of this podcast, transference of control. Yeah. Um, now, in order to do that, you have to, as I say, you know, there are certain things that you have to go through. But one of the things that I think is really important is clarity of role for the previous owner. Okay. A lot of people that I've talked to who are in employee ownership trusts would say the owner's better off completely gone. Uh -huh. um, maybe that's their personal experience. <laughs> uh, I don't think that's necessary, but I do think if they're going to carry on, they need to be clear about what they're doing. Uh -huh. um, it could be chairman. I'm continuing as chairman with Ovation, and I have clearly defined a role. Uh, I don't go in the office very much, uh -huh. so I can't poke my nose in. Um, I think I know of one other company where the founder um, still works in the business, but actually for them, they've gone back to doing the thing that they enjoy doing in the first place. Okay. So a lot of people who set up their own businesses um, didn't start to be running a business. They started because they liked doing the thing. Yeah. And then 10 years later, you find your HR consultant and, you know, <laughs> yeah. FD and all the other things. Um, and I, one example of a guy who just went back to doing the thing that he wanted, he loved doing in the first place. Uh -huh. Um, and I'm told he doesn't poke his nose in too much, but <laughs> you know, clarity of role is absolutely key for yeah. the founder stroke owner that's, le that's letting go um, to stop them from poking their nose back yeah. in. And was that something that was discussed with your team? So did you go in and say, I want this role, this is a role I want to have when this all happens, or did you say, what do you want me to do? Bit of both. Um, because they said that I've got 20 years of experience. We don't just want to let that walk out the door, uh -huh. which is nice of them. Um, but I, I, I would challenge any of your listeners, okay, to go through the following exercise that a friend of mine went through. Uh -huh. He had an away day with all his staff, about 25 employees. And during that away day, he said, right, for the next hour, you're going to discuss my job. Okay. And you're going to tell me what it is that I do. Uh -huh. I'm going to walk out, I'm going to go for a little stroll around the grounds, and when I come back, you're going to tell me what my job will be in the future. 
I'll do anything you want. Mm -hmm. um, I will make the tea. I'll do the creative. I will see clients. Whatever it is that you think is the best use of my skills, that is what I will do. Okay. Imagine that. Yeah. Goes out for a walk, comes back, says, right, everybody, have you got on? They said, yeah, like a jury. Yeah, we've mm. come to a verdict. <laughs> <laughs> we've decided what it is. Okay, what do you want me to do? They said, we'd like you to interfere less. Okay. <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? <laughs> yes. So then they talked about what that would look like and what his skills were, and then he had a clearly defined role. But it was set not by him, but by the employees. Mm -hmm. And again, there's a, I don't actually like the phrase, but there, there was a phrase in the family business world of professionalizing the family business. So you've gone into business, you're head down, you're working away, you're, you're trying to build the business, but you don't have that framework of clearly defined roles. You haven't written your val values and visions down. You haven't articulated that to, to your um, workforce. That's just good employees. business planning for any business. Completely. And it's something that because within the family business world, they could be sat around the kitchen table having those discussions, it, that there's perhaps a perception that it's not as well um, or not as needed as it would be in a, in a non-family business. But the exercise you, you talk about there and the exercises you, you um, outline in, in your book are good business practice for any business. They are, I would argue. but just thinking about if that sort of approach was taken by an employee-owned business, what you, the result would be disengaged employees. Mm. Uh, I don't know if that's the same case in a family business, but the employee, you tell the employees on the one hand that it's your business now, mm -hmm. you know, you control it via the trust, but you, you know, um, and then you don't give them a say. Mm. That wouldn't work. That just no. wouldn't work. Um, so engaged employees, you need to have decision-making processes. One very important point, an employee-owned business does not give them decision-making individual decision-making. Right. It gives them a say. Okay. Very big difference between that and, say, a cooperative. Because yeah. a lot of people say, well, I don't want death by committee. Um, and that's why your decision-making structures are really important. Um, so in a family business, you know, all of these things could apply just as equally. Mm. Um, because you want engaged employees who care about what they do, don't you? Yeah. And, uh, again, talking more on, on the detail around the structure of it, one of the um, questions that, that was raised uh, in a, a conversation I had about an EIT um, elsewhere was how does it affect my day-to-day -day job? My by the pay, employee? By the employee, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so how it affects your day-to-day -day job could be, well, the answer is, I don't know, how would you like it to affect your day-to-day -day yeah. job? Because it's your business. And I think there was... Sorry, Russ, if I just give you an example, there's a really, really important point to keep getting across and keep ramming this home. It's your business. Uh -huh. You're the employees. You own the business. You decide. Yeah. Stop asking me. Uh -huh. Because if I'm going to let go of control, I need to know that you've got a firm grasp. Uh -huh. And that's another part of the letting go process yes. is the you, in order to let go of something i need to know that somebody else is going to have hold of it mm -hmm. and if you keep asking me questions like what's my day going to look like i know this is early on in the process yeah. so, but i'm not going to feel that i can let go um, and i have one example of this where um within ovation i won't name a member of staff but he was relatively new to the company at the time and so he was just getting his head around all of this and um one of the rules about the profit that happens within an employee owned business is it goes to the trust for distribution to the employees uh -huh. now how do you distribute it amongst the employees uh, and there is no set rule other than it must be broadly equitable uh -huh which means you can affect it by salary and service, but not specifically by performance. Okay. Now, when this chap saw this fact, came back and said, mm, I can see an issue there, because 
if I've been working really hard, staying to seven every night, popping in sometimes at weekends, but Bill and uh, over the over the road doesn't do any of that, and is just a nine to fiver and not engaging. Mm -hmm. Why should he get the same amount as me? That doesn't seem fair. Mm -hmm. So I went back and I said, "You're quite right. What are you going to do about it? Because mm. it's your business. Yeah. Why are you telling me? Mm. You know, this notion of fairness." Is very much a, um, and this is, I'm, I'm going to use a harsh terminology here, and it wasn't what he was doing, but it's a, it's a whinging to your boss type feel to it. Uh -huh. Well, you're the boss now. It's your business. Yeah. So what are you going to do about that? Well, that could be quite scary because I'm, I'm just thinking from um, previous experiences as well. There's lots of people who crave that um, accountability, that crave the responsibility of going into to a senior role where they affect decisions and that you know they get rewarded for it until the point that it's then given to them and, and then they go, oh, actually, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can I go back to yeah. where I was? I think that's a fair comment. I mean, you've just raised a very interesting point in itself that the difference between accountability and responsibility. Mm. People are quite happy to take on responsibility to do something, yeah. but the accountability, if it goes wrong, is another matter entirely. So that's a conversation that I engender within groups when I do my group coaching and consultancy with businesses, mm. is let's have that conversation. Yeah. Where does accountability lie? Where does responsibility lie? Um, it may be that there are a few employees who don't like this and leave mm. and if I'm honest that's probably okay yeah um, you'd rather not leave people if possible lose people if possible and I think if they see it through they'll realize that actually this is better for them mm -hmm. but if you've got somebody that really is just wanting to empty their in-tray um, and leave in the evenings then maybe an employer business isn't quite right for them mm -hmm. depends on the size of the business to be yeah. fair if you've got a lot more employees and it is easier to have people like this but in a small business it's probably not so compatible mm. and has it been generally well received with your own uh, employees so <laughs> so here's a funny thing um with the employees yes uh initially there was some doubt as they got their heads around it yeah. and there were we had a few bumps in the road but that's why it takes a little while to do this um but when they really understood it, yeah, absolutely. With clients, it's been incredibly well received. And I had a funny little moment last week where um, a lot of our clients have been with us. They came to the company because of me personally, and I advise them personally. And um, we've been through some interesting times with some of our clients and made uh -huh. a big difference to their lives. So when the announcement happened, I thought I was going to get a lot of emails, cards, your text saying, well yeah. done, congratulations. No, a dicky bird. <laughs> <laughs> a few people, but, but very, very little. Mm. And part of me kind of went, oh, mm. Mm, okay, <laughs> what happened there? But then just a few days ago, I suddenly realised, hang on, that's what I was trying to yeah. achieve. You've made yourself unimportant. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly what... And actually achieving it felt rather strange. Mm. Um, but, but when I reminded myself that was actually the objective, I thought, yes, actually, well done. That, mm. that, you know, tick VG, move on. <laughs> and, and that's a, a really interesting point in terms of... We were speaking off-air about um, how success is defined in family business of... To be deemed successful, the business must pass from generation to, to generation. Um, we work in uh, similar businesses. We, we, we are financial planners, so I think our definition of success is is perhaps slightly different. I think you've got a, a very articulate way of um, defining success. Well, for me, success is freedom of time. Yes, I'm impressed with somebody when they get to choose what they do during the day, mm. not by how much money they've got. Yeah, 
and it could be you know, I've got one friend who, who doesn't have much money at all he just doesn't really need much mm. um, he doesn't care about possessions etc and I, I think he's successful yeah and I think that's an important distinction in terms of if family businesses are looking at an EOT as a potential structure is for it not to be framed in the sense of it being a failure of the family to um, not pass the business to the next generation because you can still retain ownership outside of the EOT. Okay, so let, let's cover that share. point. That's a really. I was just thinking as you were saying, that's a really important point. You now you have to give control fifty one percent, but you can keep the other forty nine percent. Now, of course, the bigger the percentage you give, the more the, the profits will go to the employees, the more motivated they'll be. Yeah. Um, but if you keep a minority shareholding, which could then be put into a trust fund for the family, mm -hmm. um, then you are actually passing the business on through the generations. You're yeah. just not passing control of yes. the business. Um, so that's an important distinction, mm. and, and uh, that definition of success, um, I wonder, I mean, I'm going to ask you this question, but I wonder if having a definition of success of passing through the generations causes more problems than it helps? Potentially, and I think that the, there are statistics that are used, and there are statistics that are misused, misused, sorry, that... 30% go from first to second, 13 to from second to third, and 3% beyond the third generation. But it was a limited study on a limited area, and mm. so the statistics in themselves aren't necessarily useful, but they are used by practitioners to say, don't make yourself one of those yeah. failure statistics. Yeah, when yeah. My, my belief it's is... It's only a failure if that was your objective in the first place. Completely, and it, it, it doesn't... That might be the objective, yeah. and if it is the objective, let's do that really well. But but if the objective is for everybody to be happy and to be filling their time with the things that they want to be doing, and that doesn't necessarily mean passing down to little Johnny or little Julie as to, to who takes on the business, the, uh, the EOT allows ownership to re be retained within the family, as you're saying, and that can be passed down via the generations. If there's nobody within the family um, system or unit that wants to then take on the business... The EOT and the employees could, could be absolutely it. perfect. Yeah. yeah. So it, uh, uh, there is. A We've also got the other phrase uh, that the first generation makes it, second generation enjoys it, third generation loses it. Yes. Um, so I wonder if you put that on top of your statistics of your family businesses. Yeah. Maybe those statistics are good. Mm. Maybe that shows it's successful because the family business is being successioned on somewhere else um, and not given to the third generation yeah. to waste. There's lots of different ways of looking at that, aren't there? Completely. And again. If a business is sold, statistically, that's deemed as a failure because it hasn't passed to the next generation. Everybody could be happy skipping yeah. around, you know, doing what they want to do with life, but it's still deemed as a Well, I, I wonder if the employee ownership trust then is a, a good alternative to that because you can um, succession the business to the employees but retain the shareholding for the family. I mean, my situation, I've retained a minority and I see this very much as a legacy for my family. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to just give them the shares. It's going to be in a family trust for their benefit as a kind of emergency fund. Mm -hmm. um, so in three, four generations' time, I like the thing, because I've got an ego, that um, my great-great-grandchildren will be saying, oh, that was, you know, old Chris Bud, that was the mm -hmm. business that he set up that's still going and yeah. we're, we're, we're proud to feel part of that. Mm. But they're not getting loads and loads of money for free. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to have to go and earn their own money and make their own way in life. Completely. But they've got something to fall back on. So that's my view of that, that legacy. Um, and maybe, you know, what's the driver for somebody 
wanting to see passing it down as a success mm. what is is it security for your kids is it your own ego mm. is it building something that you think is going to last forever you know what actually is why is that a success that would yeah. be quite an interesting question to ask people uh, and that's uh, i don't want to plug my own book but i'm in the process of, of finalizing my own book which is, is if you're going to do your own podcast <laughs> Russ, you've got to plug your own book okay, go for it. it i've got the rules <laughs> um, so, so uh, there's a famous three circle model in in family business which we, we i know we've discuss which is family ownership and, and management uh, i've developed my own or, or stolen my own which is um financial emotional and technical uh, and when people deal with succession planning and, and advice the majority of advice they get from practitioners is financial or technical and sometimes it meets in the middle ignoring that emotional element can lead to not really understanding what success would look like and my argument is where emotion and logic collide inaction happened because the logic of a financial transaction that has these technical implications that the practitioners will sit and go why why are they not signing this because it makes absolute sense it's exactly what the textbook would say is the solution but by ignoring that emotional element that comes into play in some of the stuff we've been talking about about letting go and dropping an ego and making yourself um, the least important person in the business the process it seems to me anyway the process of establishing an eot addresses those issues yeah yeah I, 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 it has to i think i think you're bang on um i'm sure when emotional logic collide was a star trek episode <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i know love and hate collide was a deaf leopard song <laughs> something like that i might have got that wrong so the the process of going eot i think my model anyway is i use the phrase decide first action last mm -hmm. So the first thing to do is work out what your end goal looks like. That's good planning anyway, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so that needs coaching. That needs some soul searching. That's need, maybe it's a family discussion, you know. Um, but once you decide, yes, we think that, that employee ownership is going to be the end result of our, of our journey, then you go and do all the things that you need to do to a business to make it sustainable. Your collaborative decision making, your engaged employees, a flag on the ground. And you do all of those things... Uh, which can take years, by oh. the way. It took me seven. And only then do you actually go employee-owned. And only actually then do you press the button. So um, the first step for anybody listening to this is, is to go and have a think about life. You yeah. Know, yeah. Work out, actually, where do I want to end up? Um, do I want this to be passed on to the kids? Do they want it? You know, is that actually the result? In which case, great. Mm -hmm. You know, um, or is there another way that actually may maybe give all of us what we want out of life without having to feel? Because here's an important point. I think certainly for me, a lot of people would say when you run your own business, "Oh, you're so lucky running your own business. Um, you get to do whatever you like." Mm -hmm. Actually, it's completely the opposite. Yeah, I felt trapped. Okay, I was unhappy about seven years ago uh, i was a bit depressed and i felt trapped i couldn't just go and get another job mm. i couldn't just resign and go and do something else yeah. because i had this business that needed me that i was stuck in mm -hmm. and so part of the process is to work out how the hell you get out of that but still achieving all the things that you want and mm. that's what employee ownership gave me it allowed me to get out and do something different but still allowing me to have all the things that i wanted in other words to keep that business going that i was so proud yeah. of and not just sell to a you know a big corporate or what have you yeah. so I don't know if that if that will relate and anybody who runs their own family business will relate to that but there is a feeling of being trapped mm. um that that i think is not talked about enough so 
when you talk about your uh, emotion not being advised upon sufficiently, I could not agree with you more. Oh. Go and get some coaching. Go and talk about it. Go and go and spend some time away and think about what you want, uh -huh. and then you can start putting in the in, in the yeah. process and communicate it. Uh, the, the, ah, the, no, 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 okay. not too quickly. The temptation is, and I suspect I did this. So excited about employee ownership. Right. Oh my God, this is just, this is giving me everything I want to do. Yeah. Go away, talk to your senior leadership team. Once the cat's out of the bag, uh -huh. it's done. Yeah. That wasn't a very good metaphor, but anyway, go with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, always like a good, um, to mangle a good analogy. <laughs> Once you've told everybody, that's set in their heads, that's where we're going. And it's uh -huh. very difficult to come back from that, yeah. if not impossible. So spend some time. Um, work out what it is if you really do think employee ownership when you then do tell people they'll start to get all the other things you've been doing uh -huh. so for example innovation I had been working on decision making collaborative decision making and I think it's fair to say that to begin with they just did not get it uh -huh. and to be fair because I hadn't explained it properly because I didn't really understand the point uh -huh. when one day I told them right this is the big announcement when you are ready, it will be sold to an employee ownership trust, and this is how it works. I could see them go, oh, so that's why right. we're having these decision yeah. groups. Okay. So don't say it too early. Uh -huh. Don't tell them too early. But when you do, it will have a transformative effect. Mm. And the the main benefit, I would not to you, but the main benefit to your business, or the business now, of it being employee-owned is is what in your view the engagement of i have heard a statistic that i have no veracity of whatsoever so right. <laughs> um, if you'll allow me to just uh, make something up but i have heard a statistic that 15 percent profit increase after right. one year okay. is the average change in the business wow uh, which is hugely hurtful to the owners <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I have heard that statistic. The Employee Ownership Association, if anybody wants any more information, go and look up Employee Ownership Association and just Google it. Um, they are brilliant at this and they bring loads. You have never seen a more energetic room of people than a group of employee ownership um, employees or owners okay. at a regional meeting of the, of the EOA. Oh, it's fantastic. Everyone's sharing ideas and good practice. Everyone's so passionate. And that's an outcome mm -hmm. of being employee owned. Okay. And it's not... Um limited to any particular sector or excluding no. of any particular type of business is it? no it does need to be shares so yeah. llps and partnerships will need, would need to incorporate first yeah. uh, but no there's no limit to it i think it suits maybe it suits some more than others but mm -hmm. i don't know i don't mm -hmm. know at the moment um there are two hundred and eighty thousand businesses in the uk with between 10 and 250 employees right so target market, you know, put a sweet spot for this sort of thing. There are currently 320 employee ownership trust businesses. Wow. So I think this is going to absolutely explode. Mm -hmm. um, and me coming on podcasts like yours is part of trying to make that happen. Yeah. Because I think this is great for society. If you've got lots and lots of small businesses, the engine of the economy mm -hmm. that are being run by and for the benefit for employees rather than just a few bosses, mm -hmm. I think that's got to be good for society. Yeah. And again, I... I'm quoting statistics. You're going to make one up now as well, are you? I'm not even <laughs> going to make it up because I'm not. I'm not sure of the the percentage of it. But there is a a, a study that has been done that shows that having a long term view, um, although it might be slightly more um, conservative in terms of decision making, 
does have a longer term benefit on the business. Oh, it's got to. You're absolutely. not accountable to shareholders over a six month reporting period. It is a much more of a longer term view of this is an internal business. This is what we need it to, to look like. But not only that, if you if, just expanding on that, if you take the value out of the conversation, mm. um, I've been to so many discussion forums with business owners where the question is asked, what are you doing to add value to your business? Mm -hmm. And that's the topic of conversation. That's the focus. And I always say, well, nothing. Yeah. Because I don't care about the value of my business. But what can you do with it? Yeah. I mean, that's not, I'm being a bit disingenuous because, of course, I ended up selling my business. Uh, and I, but I sold it to an employee ownership trust where the value oh. genuinely doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, just a little bit of technicality there. The trustees of the employee ownership trust who can be anybody, but mm -hmm. typically tend to be an employee and somebody from the board and maybe an external trustee. Yeah. They are allowed to sell their shares at some point. So it is okay. possible that the trust sells the shares one day, mm -hmm. but uh, it's not too difficult to stop that from happening. For example, the ex-owner just keeps one share mm -hmm. and there's an agreement that says that you can't sell the business until 100% agree. So um, to all intents and purposes, the my business will never be sold. Mm -hmm. um, and that's therefore means that the value is irrelevant. Yes. So how are you adding value to your business? I'm not doing anything. What mm -hmm. I'm doing is trying to make long-term sustainable profit. Mm -hmm. Happy clients, happy employees. Yeah. And again, I think in terms of um, the, the synergy with um, a family business there, it, it, thinking over the longer term, having that um, discussion around my bit's worth this and your bit's worth that it is irrelevant because it's... You can't. It's you like, can't sell it. It's like people saying, "My property is my pension," and you you can't spend a property. You no, need you need exactly. to to realise that you need to to have the the cash flow to to be able to. You also to spend. can't take any income from the property. Yeah. So the 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 structure that you've you've got in place. So you mentioned trustees. Am I right in thinking there's in a, a board of directors? So um, the. All that's happening is that ownership is changing. Mm -hmm. The business doesn't have to change at all. Okay. You're simply selling your shares from one body to another body, from one person to a trust. So exactly the same happens. The shareholders appoint a board to run the business on their behalf. Mm -hmm. um, the board then appoint one of them to be the managing director. The managing director may then assemble a leadership team. The leadership team may then um, apply, uh, get um, employee forums, uh, councils or decision groups where the employees have a say in the running of the business. Okay. So this is the fun bit. If the business doesn't do very well, the shareholders, who are the employees by the trust, hold the board to account. The board goes to the managing director. The managing director says, hang on, leadership team. The leadership team say to the employees, what are you doing? Well, the, leadership, the employees are the ones that own the business. Yeah. It goes around in a big circle. Yeah. So accountability and responsibility evolves. Yeah. And that's really important to make sure that you engender that within the business. What I personally think is a big mistake is if you sell your business to an employee ownership trust, but you don't do any of the other things. Because an employee-owned business, like a family business, runs differently mm -hmm. from a privately-owned shareholder business. So you have to make steps to do those other things as well. And as I say, I recommend strongly you do them before you actually press the button. Completely. And that helps engender that engagement with your employees that there's a direct impact to their decision-making. Yes. Because 
the prophets go off into um, the tr I'm pointing up into the sky now as if the trust is up there <laughs> the prophets go up, up into there's deep the psychology in what you're doing <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it is but there is deep psychology in that <laughs> that's for another day <laughs> but the, the prophets go up into to the trust and are there to obviously pay anything that's owed to the owner until that during that period, yeah. That debt has been repaid. And then it's available for distribution to the employees as bonuses, pay rises, however they, they want that to be taken, but it's their decision. Or reinvested into the business to help grow it for um, future. Yeah. And the risk to the employees in terms of the business failing is still, I would guess, predominantly borne by the directors and the board at that level that well what is the risk if the if the business fails they lose their jobs yes the difference is of course against say a management buyout is they don't lose money too mm. so um the, the risk is borne by everybody in the business yeah the responsibility for the for the business failing has got to be borne by everybody mm -hmm. um but the accountability stops at the board level okay and the structure and, and this might be a general structure or the structure that you've implemented in terms of trying to avoid the bad decisions that we were talking about earlier is that there is a the hierarchy there to help make better decisions or is it it's up to them whatever's up to the whatever whatever um they decide uh, and this is again another important point um you want good decision making you want good business decisions mm -hmm. so how is what's the best structure for that business to make good business decisions um and in ovation we have decision groups where um every member of staff must be a member of decision group mm -hmm. we're a small business so it's easier to do that employee councils employee forums is another way of giving people a say in larger businesses but it's up to them it could be hierarchical it could be very flat yeah entirely up to the business to decide the employees to decide it's mm -hmm. their business you know um can i just come back to one thing that you said because this is one of the the most important points i want to get across mm -hmm. I've talked about the different areas of a business that you need to work on in order to make it sustainable. Mm -hmm. So it's the ownership structure, but it's also the flag on the ground, the collaborative decision-making, engaged employees. It's really, really, really key that you work on all of those at the same time. Right, okay. Because one will inform the other. Yeah. And I've touched on it already that um, decision-making, if you're going to develop collaborative decision-making, they need to know why, what the yeah. point is. They also need to map their decisions against a flag, against a vision. Mm -hmm. um, your employees will become more engaged when they have clarity over their roles, so roles and responsibilities exercises, that kind of stuff. These all things all have to be built up together. I would not recommend you just go employee-owned and then try and work it out. <laughs> and I also wouldn't recommend and you immediately give your employees collaborative decision making and don't set the structure in place. Yeah. So they all need to be worked together. So a plan of action needs, and one of the things that I do is I go into a company and do an assessment report. And that assessment report is to say, at one end of the spectrum, you have what I call a personality business. So a business which is all about one individual, they make the decisions, all the clients want to see them, not untypical in the financial planning world. Yes. Um, the other end of the spectrum is the my words the eternal business uh -huh. the sustainable business so to get from one end of the spectrum to the other i reckon it's between five to seven years wow okay from one extreme to the other the assessment report will say whereabouts on that path you currently sit okay. based upon those four different areas mm -hmm. and then that will then give you a plan of okay which bits we need to work what on and where do we go and now. so that's what the book is all about and that's what that's what i'm currently working on and the work that i do and um one of the challenges for 
business in general, but, but also in, in the family business world is um, attracting talent and talent retention. Presumably, again, this ticks a box in that if you're articulating during a recruitment process, this is how the business is run. Here are our values, here's our flag, here's our decision-making process. You're hopefully going to have more engaged staff from the outset. I believe you can put qualifying periods in so that people yeah. can't just come in and, and, yeah. and be uh, um, beneficiaries of the trust immediately. And it might be too soon to say we're three weeks into to your own. But, but in terms of attracting talent and retaining um, talent within the business, I would say it's a positive rather than a negative. Uh, in spades, yeah. I mean, if, you, if you've got two jobs to go for, and one job is a dominant, strident boss who makes all the decisions and will tell you what to do and keep the profit. Mm -hmm. And you've got another one where you're going to have a say. There's a very well-articulated vision that everybody understands and buys into and it happens to share your beliefs. Oh, and by the way, you're going to get a share of the profit at the end. <laughs> it's not complicated, is it? Well, no, exactly. Not that have got a decision to make. Exactly. And you're going to attract... I was going to say like-minded people. Um, to be a little bit careful there. You don't want a business full of the same sort of people, mm. but you are going to have the same core values. Yes. And I think personally that that's very important when you're when you're building a business is to share core values mm. with everybody, so that you are um, you know you're all gathered around the same flag. Completely, and the culture that is then generated off the back of that, and is able to be sustained over a long time because it's the mission is set it's not for the next five years we're going to grow it and hopefully sell it or it's not going to be you know anything that's particularly short term that's why that that's why the why is so important mm. so that you know um, one of the questions i ask in the assessment report is what would you hear from i, I interview employees i interview the owners and i ask the employees what would you hear a customer say that would give you the biggest smile right so what's the actual outcome of what you do? You mm -hmm. know? Um, and in our case with Ovation, for example, if financial planning, it wouldn't be our investment management beat the markets. <laughs> it would be somebody decided to retire mm. because they just realized they could afford to because of our work. Mm. Or somebody, um, uh, I'm trying to think of an actual example. I'm sure you've got some as well. All good financial planners have got yeah. life-changing moments that they've happened, that they engendered in their, in their clients. Mm. And that's what gives you the buzz. Yeah. Um, where you see somebody walk out realizing they're working because they want to, not because they have to, and yeah. they have choices and options. You know, that's very, very empowering. Mm. So it's identify that sort of thing for any business. What would a customer say that would give you the biggest smile? It's mm. quite a good way of, of working it out. Yeah, fantastic. Um, is there anything else we would we, draw towards the end um, of uh, the, the questions I had planned anyway? Um, is there anything that we haven't covered that you would want to cover in in more detail before i get into the, the final well i hope of... people have got the idea of the technicality of it because mm. we, we've we've covered that in bits and pieces along yeah. the way um i think the if anybody's interested in taking this further go to a regional meeting of the employee ownership association mm -hmm. you don't have to join them first meeting you can go along and just to find out what this is all about um they're also welcome to to uh, contact me if you want any more information about how it works but the employee ownership association you will be with like-minded people who are really passionate about yeah. this um it's a wonderful organization and it's going to grow massively i'm mm. really convinced it is yeah and i think that there's an awful lot of upside that the the downside I, I hesitate to use the phrase downsides but the challenges i think are going to be from the current owner that, that they need to 
to perhaps define their own version of success. So here's, here's a really, really key sentence, okay? And this is kind of putting into words, I, I hope, what, what you're describing there. For the owner, if you haven't already made your pile, you know, if you've been running your business, there's so many owners are reinvesting and so and the, and the sale is, is the be all and end all for mm -hmm. you. Um, the financial security for the owner and their family will be dependent upon profit that will be paid to them from business that they no longer control. Mm. Yes. That is really quite scary mm. because you sell your shares to the trust and the trust pays you out a future profit, but you've just sold tr control to the yeah. trust. That is why the other areas of building a sustainable business are so important. Mm -hmm. um, that is why you decide first, action last, yes. because you want to walk away from that business thinking, I'm pretty certain that unless something external happens to it, that's going to carry on forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as you imagined almost it's not by having that values and visions discussion you would hope that the employees who, who have gathered around the flag are not going to go off and do something that you yeah. completely disapprove because of. they've all come with the same core values and exactly. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yep. exactly fantastic um in terms of sort of um, quickfire questions uh, and they're quickfire questions and don't have to be quickfire answers <laughs> um what what tip or starting point would you give to a family business who might be considering this so you've mentioned the employee ownership association we can link all of that up in the, the show notes and if you're happy for us to do so your your contact details as well um but, but somebody's just listened to this and they're thinking actually this this sounds a, a bit of all right to me i'll um what next everything is around know thyself mm -hmm. so uh if I may just a quick plug the financial well-being book and financial mm -hmm. well-being podcast the underlying theme from those is know thyself work out what you want from life spend your money on that mm -hmm. so sit down by the kitchen table with everybody and say hey I've got an idea yeah. <laughs> what would it give us um, don't do anything else mm -hmm. don't go and make any changes to your business just work out in 10 years time how will I know that I've had a good 10 years mm -hmm. in 10 years time when I look back what will be making me happy at that point in time yeah so yep Great, and uh, we're big fans of the book um, and the podcast as well, so we'll link those up in, Thank you. in the show notes. Um, and it, in terms of our audience finding out more about you, you're quite active on Twitter, particularly <laughs> on your writing days, I think. Um, <laughs> where else can people get, get hold of okay, you? Okay, so at Ovation Chris on Twitter, if you type Chris Budd into Amazon, um, you'll hopefully see my uh, two novels, Financial Wellbeing book, and also in September, The Eternal Business will come out. Mm -hmm. If you put my name into Google, you'll find a maths professor from Bath who was far more popular than me. <laughs> so don't go there. Don't route. get in touch with him. <laughs> there will be a website, but to be honest with you, it's been crazy since I made the announcement. Mm. I've had so many calls and people interested and doing it um i've actually done some work i've got my first invoice to send out and i don't even have a bank account yet <laughs> so there will be a website coming yeah. um but uh i don't know what it's going to be called yet so <laughs> ovationfinance.co.uk there'll be a link to it through on the, the main site because i do continue as chairman at that yeah. company as well great and we'll put links in the show notes for all you. of that and um thank you very much indeed for your time thank you russ that's it for this week we hope you enjoyed the show if you'd like to leave us a review, please feel free to do so on iTunes. If you want to get in touch, you can find out more information at www.fambizpodcast.com. We'll see you again soon.